Good morning. My name is Debbie. The Old Testament reading is found in Jeremiah 29, 12 through 14. When you call me and come and pray to me, I will listen to you. When you search for me, yes, search for me with all your heart, you will find me. I will be present for you, declares the Lord, and I will end your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have scattered you, and I will bring you home after your long exile, declares the Lord. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Mary. The New Testament reading is found in James 5, 13 to 16. If any of you are suffering, they should pray. If any of you are happy, they should sing. If any of you are sick, they should call for the elders of the church, and the elders should pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Prayer that comes from faith will heal the sick, for the Lord will restore them to health. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. For this reason, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful in what it can achieve. The word of the Lord. Good morning, church. If you're able, oh, hey, my name's Jossie. If you're able, please stand for the gospel. Found in Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask, and you will receive. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you will give your children a stone when they ask for bread? Or give them a snake when they ask for fish? If you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask them? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to God. Please remain standing with me as we pray today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're gathered here, drawn by you into your presence to experience you, to encounter you, and to hear your voice. Would you speak to us today through songs, through sacraments, through the scriptures, through one another? Would your spirit be at work? speaking to us, changing us, transforming us, helping us, healing us, guiding us, directing us in all of the ways that you come alongside, come alongside us today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. It is good to see you. 
Welcome, welcome. I want to say hi to anyone who might be watching online or watching later. I know we've got more people traveling than usual right now as it's spring break. So the next two Sundays, people may be in and out. And we love you. We miss you. Look forward to when you're back from wherever you are at. A couple of really quick things before we dive into the text today. Next week, we begin Holy Week. So our journey through the season of Lent is coming to a close. Next week, we gather together for a special service uh, to celebrate Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem before his arrest and death and resurrection. So next Sunday we get to raid, uh, wave palm branches. The way that this typically works at downtown is if you have kids, check them into kids ministry and then have them come in here with you into worship. We'll all be together to sing and wave the branches and then there'll be a moment in the service for you to take your kids over to class where they can receive their teaching and lesson and those things over there. Then on Friday, so that would be Friday, April 7th, we'll have Good Friday services here at Palmer at 6.30. We're going to be joined by New Life Midtown and New Life Manitou Springs. So those two congregations are kind of going to come and join us. Some of their staff will be on our worship team. Some of their staff will be uh, integrated into the service with some of the preaching moments. So it'll be great to welcome those two congregations and for you to hear from not just our downtown team, but from some of the Midtown Manitou team as well. Then we'll be back here Sunday April 9th, Easter Sunday, the best Sunday of the year. I love Sundays, but Resurrection Sunday is just so sweet to be gathered together to celebrate the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus. We have two services, 9 and 11, kids ministry at both of them. If your schedule is flexible, keep coming at 11. 9 tends to be bigger, so making room at 11, uh, making room at 9 by having people join us at 11 is great. If you're a badged volunteer, we would love for you to serve on that Sunday, to serve a service and worship a service as we expect uh, larger than normal uh, attendance and lots of people who are either coming back to church or thinking about church or this is the one time of year that they're like, I think I'm going to go and we want to be able to welcome them well. If there's not an opportunity to serve on your normal team or maybe your normal team meets during the week, maybe you serve on Alpha or students or EH, uh, consider volunteering in our kids ministry. That's the place where the number of volunteers is completely proportional to the number of students that we can, or kids that we can welcome. Uh, so the more families that come, the more that we can welcome by having more volunteers. So we would appreciate your help in that. All right, but today we're back in the Sermon on the Mount, nearing the end. We'll be there this Sunday and next Sunday. Today we're in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. And believe it or not, we did not coordinate this with Brandon. I did not have any clue what he was going to talk about today. Uh, but we're talking about prayer. <laughs> back into Jesus' words uh, on this. Now, some of you already know this about me. Others of you, you can just kind of look at me and tell. You're like, yeah, that's, that's got to be true. Uh, I'm a nerd. I have always been a nerd. Uh, my whole life I've been a nerd. I've tried to disguise the fact that I'm a nerd in, in various ways. The older I get, either my attempts at disguising um, are failing more often, or I've just stopped trying as hard as before. I don't know what it is. Uh, but I think one of the major reasons that is for me is that when I was a kid, when I was growing up, school, particularly the classroom, uh, always felt like a pretty safe space for me. 
There was a place that I knew what was expected, where there was a real clear indication of this is what this room is for, and this is what the relationships are, and this is what we're doing. The teacher's teaching, and then I'm going to have to produce um, my sort of ability to show that I've, I've produced knowledge. I've taken some tests, I've taken some quiz, I've written some paper. I knew what was expected, and I found like I could meet those expectations. I didn't feel that way at home. I didn't necessarily feel that way in other parts at school, like in the relationships and friendships, lots of insecurity. I definitely didn't feel that way with girls. Like I just, that was uh, like always insecure in those conversations. I loved the athletic field. I loved playing sports, but I wasn't very good. Uh, so the classroom school was a place where it's like, okay, I, I'm comfortable here and I'm confident that I can actually do what it is that's being asked of me. And I had that experience all the way up until a moment, I think it was my sophomore year, where I decided to branch out a little bit. And instead of taking another math or science class, I thought, I'm going to give my hand at industrial arts. I'm going to take an introduction to woodworking class because this is something I should learn to do. My, my dad is handy. My brothers are handy. Then certainly there's got to be something really good about this. So I walked down to the industrial arts area and I sat down for the first woodworking class. And I'm there surrounded by all my classmates. And then the teacher starts talking. And I realized I had no clue what was going on. <laughs> There was a base knowledge like that was assumed in the room, and I didn't have it. He begins listing off all these different tools that we're going to use, and I'm sitting there going, wait, there's more than one kind of saw? <laughs> like, I, wait, what, what? And I'm looking around, and they're all going, yeah. Well, I, all, all my friends are like, yeah, I got one of those at home, and I'm going, do we have one of those at home? Do I need to have one of those at home? And I'm sweating. I'm starting to panic, and we're just going through the syllabus. Like, we're not even to the place where I've been given a tool and told to do anything with it, and I'm already going, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail. And I ran to the guidance counselor's office and dropped the class as quickly as I could and took another science class. It was like, give me a biology or anatomy textbook. I know what to do there. But in this other space, I just had this fear that I was going to fail. And I had so much of my identity wrapped up in grade point averages and being able to succeed in this space where I felt confident and comfortable that all of a sudden when I didn't feel that way, the only thing that I need to do was quit. And I think this is how many of us might describe our prayer life. This is how oftentimes we feel when it comes to prayer. That if we're really honest, we lack a lot of confidence. We're uncomfortable with what this is and what we're supposed to be doing. And most of us, at some time or another, feel like we're failing at prayer. We feel like we don't pray long enough. Or that we don't pray often enough. Or that we don't pray the right words. Or we don't pray the right words in the right ways. Or our prayers don't work. 
They don't seem to be actually producing something that we want, that the things that we're asking for aren't seeming to happen the way that they, we think they should or when they think when they should. And so we're like, well, God doesn't answer our prayers by prayers. He doesn't seem to be all that interested. So I must be doing something wrong. And so what happens is, is that just leads us to quit. And most of the time, it's kind of a quiet quit. It's not something that we advertise. You know, we don't sort of put up a notification in the church bulletin board and say, all right, I'm done. I'm just, I'm stopping prayer. I'll see you in five years, God. Like, I'm just going on from here. It's more quiet. And internally, we're so frustrated at that point because prayer seems so simple. It's like, it's just talking, right? I know how to talk. So why is this so hard? It's so impossibly frustrating at times and then we get a little bit embarrassed about it it's like it's supposed to be so simple and it's the thing that all christians are supposed to do and i'm, I'm kind of embarrassed that it's hard for me and so i don't want to be honest about that i don't want to share for me this has been my experience with prayer that i think if you were to list out all of the spiritual disciplines and tell me like to rank them in terms of like which ones I gravitate toward and which ones are really hard for me, prayer would be on that really hard end. I think maybe because of that affection for books, it gets easy for me to go and to grab a book and to study. And there's something about singing that I'm like, okay, I can kind of get into this. I don't know how to sing. I'm off beat with my clapping, but it's all right. I'm kind of feeling this. I love the sacraments coming to the table. And yet prayer always seems to be a struggle. I think that's why I gravitate toward just praying the scriptures, grabbing the Psalms and praying through them or grabbing a prayer book and praying through that because I'm like, I just don't know what else to do here. It's like, God, <laughs> like, what are we supposed to do right now? What do I do with my hands? What am I, what am I, where am I supposed to stand? Where am I, supposed to, I, I just feel so uncomfortable. I think most of us, we assume that we, we should be proficient at prayer. Especially maybe early on, we come, come to faith and you're like, out of all of these things, this should be the, the easiest. I should just be proficient. This is something I should know how to do. But the truth is, prayer is learned. And it's learned over a lifetime. It's learned very slowly. It's learned. It's something that we actually don't know how to do. It's something that we're taught to do. And it's something that we learn and then relearn and unlearn and learn again and then learn new ways all the time throughout the course of our life. That because it's a dynamic relationship, the way in which we communicate and how we communicate and the things that help us to communicate are constantly changing and we're learning new things about what this thing is. Thankfully, of course, Jesus knows how to do this. And he teaches us how. Even the disciples, these kids who grew up in Jewish households, who probably had the Psalms memorized, who knew what it meant to pray multiple times a day. They had all of these sort of tools and senses about prayer. And they looked at Jesus, they're like, you got to teach us because we don't know what we're doing. But they saw Jesus as someone that could teach them. In Matthew chapter 7, this is the second time that Jesus is actually talking to us about prayer. In the background, what he's already covered is this. He says, don't let your prayer become a performance for others. But instead, pray to the God who is with you. Pray to the God who sees you. Pray to the God who hears you even in secret. 
And Jesus says, don't think that God will only hear you if you're wordy, if you just keep going on and on and on, if you have all the right words. But remember that God knows what you need before you even ask him. But probably the most radical and the most important thing that Jesus teaches us about prayer in the previous passage and comes back to it in this one is that Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father. Jesus teaches us to pray as children to our Father. And so much of our life in prayer actually rests on this revelation. In fact, I think our entire life of prayer rests on this. That when we move away from this foundation is actually when prayer becomes awkward and our prayer life starts to go awry. Prayer is meant to be a conversation spoken in the context of love. Prayer is meant to be a conversation spoken in the context of love. And think just for a minute about how you hear kids talk to their parents. Maybe it was how you spoke to your parents as a kid. Maybe it's how your kids talk to you. Maybe it's how nieces or nephews or kids of friends. When you hear kids talk to their parents... Think about the way that they talk to them. Assuming, of course, that the parents are safe and present and loving. I know that that's not always been our story. And for many of us, one of the things that's so hard about this is that we never felt like we could talk to our parents in that way. That the, the relationship that we had with our parents is so difficult that it's hard to sort of know what it means to pray as a child to a parent when those conversations were so difficult. But imagine an ideal situation. Imagine a safe and present and loving parent and a kid coming up to talk to them. Think about the way that conversation goes. It's loaded with affection. Mom, dad, mama, dada, mommy, daddy. The language is speaking of relationship and love. And there's incredible confidence, incredible boldness. There's no pretense around the conversation. Can I have a snack? You just go right into it. I told you four times today you can't have a snack. But can I have one if I have this? What about you can have a healthy snack? Okay, can I have Nutella? Nutella's not healthy. I know it says hazelnut on the side. But it's, it's not healthy. Well, what if I have it with apples? Okay, just have it, please. <laughs> like, just go already. There's so much trust to even ask again and again. They speak simply. They speak directly. They speak honestly. It's unrehearsed. They're not sitting there going, okay, what, what should I say? How could I say this? There's no anxiety and nervousness. And they're not afraid of being repetitive. Jesus says, this is how we should pray. And he has all of that in the background as we come into today's text, Matthew chapter 7. He says, ask and you will receive. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and whoever seeks finds and whoever knocks, the door will be open to them. Jesus gives us three verbs here, ask and seek and knock. I don't think these are three different types of prayer. I think it's three images of prayer, giving us three ways of talking about the same thing. 
And if you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard that the verbal tenses here have this sense of ask and keep asking, knock and keep knocking, seek and keep seeking, just keep going after it. And sometimes when we recognize that, what we end up doing is we place the emphasis of this text on our persistence. That really what Jesus is trying to teach us here is persistence. That if we just keep at it, if we just keep going, if we just ask and ask and ask and ask and ask, then God at some point will eventually hear us. And it's possible that Jesus is suggesting this to us in some way. There are other passages that talk about the value of persistence. Jesus even tells a parable about a persistent widow of someone who perseveres in asking but when we read this text that way, it runs the danger of placing the power of prayer on us. It places the power of prayer on our perseverance. And it can suggest that God's busy, that he's distracted, that his attention is somewhere else. The image I think we get here sometimes is like we're all sitting in a restaurant with the rest of the world and God's the only server. All right, And we're just like pleading for him to take our order. We're sitting at the table and God's walking by. Right, um, excuse me, God, God, excuse me. Um, look up here, look up here. It's like, what do I need to do to get your attention? Excuse me, God. It's like, what if, what if I took the mat and I turned it over and I made signs? What if I colored it? What if I got loud? What if I spilled my water? What if I dropped something on the floor? What do I need to do to get God's attention? And we think that if we don't give up, we make enough noise, if we get really creative, then eventually God will have no choice but to pay attention to us. We'll have worn him down with our annoyance. It's like then God will have to do something. And then we say really cute things to ourselves if he doesn't. Well, if, if he doesn't answer it, well, he must have, there must be something more important for God to attend to. Or maybe in some really vulnerable places for us, he must have someone more important to attend to. This is just all sorts of things about God being limited in some way to the kinds of things that he can pay attention to and God's availability to everybody at all times. See, what happens in those kind of images is we end up thinking about prayer the way that we think about our provider-client relationship, not a parent-child relationship. This is a provider-client way of thinking about prayer not a parent-child way. This is not a conversation spoken in the context of love. So I think what Jesus is doing, I think the reason that Jesus tells us to ask and keep asking, to seek and keep seeking, to knock and keep knocking, because Jesus teaches us to pray continually for the sake of continual connection. He wants us to keep praying because he wants to keep talking with us. He wants to maintain continual connection. This is the longing of the Father's heart, is to be connected with his children. So he just wants us to keep talking. Think about the way we talk to our loved ones. We talk to our loved ones about everything, especially what matters. And we talk to them about it more than once. We keep talking to them about it. We're processing it. We're throwing this out. We're throwing that out. We're wondering about this. And we're recognizing that there's, we're in constant communication because life is constantly changing. 
life is dynamic, relationships are dynamic, our emotions, our perspectives, the way that things are impacting us, they're all dynamic. So we keep coming back to our loved ones and talking about it again and again and again. And this is what God is inviting us into. He longs for, for us to continually bring our whole lives, our whole selves to him in prayer. To just keep talking about it. Earlier, Jesus told us that the Father already knows what we need before we ask him. Which, of course, leaves many of us to go, like, then why bother? <laughs> like, why do we need to do this? If he already knows, why do I have to ask? If you know that I want you to unload the dishwasher, why do I have to ask you to unload the dishwasher? <laughs> or some other conversation like that. Why do we have to ask? I think it's because God wants to be with us. He wants to talk to us. He loves the sound of your voice. He loves it when you ask him. He loves to be asked. I tuck the kids into bed nearly every night. I know that they want to be tucked in. They know that I'm going to tuck them in. And I love it when they ask. When they're like, Dad, will you tuck us in tonight? Yes. Of course, I know you want that. I know you need that before you even ask. And you know I'm going to do it. And yet when you ask, something happens inside of me. I think our Father God is the same way. That he just wants to be in conversation with us. He wants that connection. And there's something about our ask that actually moves his heart. Prayer, more than anything, is about relationship. And it's about the relationship between a parent and a child, between our Heavenly Father and each one of us. This is the emphasis that Jesus is trying to get us to pay attention to over and over and over again. Your kids, and he's your dad. But what we want to pay attention to is what Jesus says next. We want to pay attention to what he says after the asking and the seeking stuff. He says, ask and you will receive Search and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. He's emphasizing this, you will, you will, you will. He's echoing what our Old Testament reading from Jeremiah said, where God was saying to the people of Israel, I will listen, you will find me, I will be present, I will end your exile. Jesus does promise a divine response to our prayers. He does promise this. Jesus teaches us to pray and to have expectation, to have hope for a reply, to expect a response, to expect God to be present and speaking with us. See, for Jesus, the power of prayer is not found in our perseverance, but in God's promise. That's where the power rests, not in our perseverance, but in God's promise that God promises to respond to us. But this is where most of us have Incredible difficulty in prayer. Because one of the greatest disappointments that we experience in faith is unanswered prayer. When we experience silence from God, especially when we've petitioned him for years, when we feel like we've come back to him over and over and over again and asked for relief, from this pain or from this sickness or from this diagnosis or from this disease. 
when we've come back to him and just pleaded for release from this addiction, pleaded for release from the things that are going on inside of us or the things that have happened to us, where we've cried out to him for our adult children to come back to him and to come back to us. We've cried out late at night and early in the morning asking for reconciliation. Or we've spent, spent moments in our loneliness asking for a spouse or asking for friendship or asking for community and then finding ourselves back in lonely spaces again. And what we're often told in those moments is that we must be praying for the wrong thing or we're praying in the wrong way or we're asking God for something that he doesn't want to give us. That clearly our prayers are out of alignment with God's will or there must be something going on with our desires. Maybe our desires are, are impure. Maybe we're too impatient or we need to just pray with more faith. If we had more faith, then God would do something. And of course, those, there are passages that address many of those things that hint along some of those lines that there are at times that those things may be possible. But I don't find any of those common sort of explanations for un unanswered prayer very satisfactory. The people that I'm with, and even in my own life, my own answered prayer, unanswered prayers, they don't seem to be things that are completely out of line with God's will. They're not things that I'm wanting just to make my life easier. There's not things where I go, I don't think my desires are impure in praying for this person who doesn't know you, Jesus. Those things just don't seem to hold up. And those things never actually made me want to keep praying <laughs> when I'm told any of those things. It's never like, oh, okay, they, yeah, that's great. You know, now I'm going to, like, what? It's so discouraging in those moments. And I noticed that all of those definitions, I actually think that they tend to mechanize prayer. They tend to sort of push them back into a provider-client relationship. And just say, if we do this, if we do all of the right things in all the right ways, then God will have no choice but to answer our prayers and our ways and our time and all of those things. And it moves again beyond a parent-child relationship. And it eliminates all the mystery. It eliminates all the mystery of what it means to be in an active, living relationship with a God who we'll never be able to fully understand. Just sort of pulls all of that out. And at times, those explanations can go beyond that, and they can just be downright cruel. They can be some of the most hurtful things that we ever say to one another. I had a friend, actually the first person I ever worked with in ministry, she was my supervisor when I was a youth pastor, and she was a single mom, had two kids, her youngest, her son. Uh, a few years before I met her, uh, he was 16 years old, and he came down with leukemia. And she prayed and she fasted and the church prayed and fasted and they prayed and fasted for months. And he died. He wasn't healed. You can imagine the heartbreak of that as a parent. Walking through that time and she, of course, had all kinds of questions and doubts and emotions and things that were swirling along inside of her. And a couple months into that deep grief and sadness and lament that she was carrying, she was approached and called into an office by several church leaders who told her that the reason that her son died is because she didn't have enough faith. Right? Are you kidding me? 
Like of all the people on the planet that were praying, which included these people, the one who didn't have enough faith was the one that had the most on the line, the one who cried out the most, the one who this was most dear to. Are you kidding me? We'll share those things sometimes with one another. And if somebody's ever said that to you, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry if you've ever experienced that kind of pain being added on top of the pain of an unanswered prayer. There's so much difficulty in that already. The very least that we can do is be kind to one another. One of the frustrating things about this passage is that Jesus doesn't address our unanswered prayers. You never notice that Jesus just doesn't give us a lot here? It makes me angry. I'm like, Jesus, could you not have like added another line in? Could you not have said more? Were you running out of time? Could you not have given us something else? It's a bit disappointing. It's infuriating at times. But instead, Jesus keeps bringing us back to these very simple ideas. He says, pray and to trust. Pray and trust. What Jesus seems to keep wanting us to remember about prayer is that he wants us to keep thinking about prayer as continual connection between our, parent, between our Heavenly Father and us, between a child and a parent. He wants us to say, like, no matter what's going on, no matter what happens in the midst of life, no matter what happens in the midst of all of these conversations, the most important thing is to continually connect with God as a child with a parent and then to trust that God will respond like a parent to a child. He wants us to keep coming back to that. That's where he comes back to in his next statement. He says this, he says, Who among you will give your children a stone when they ask for bread or a snake when they ask for a fish? If you, are, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask? He says, if we whose character has cracks in it know how to give good gifts to our kids, then how much more? See, for Jesus, the power of prayer is not found in our perseverance, but in God's promises. And how do we know that we can trust those promises? Jesus fastens our prayers to the goodness of God. He says, the good God will give good things to his children. It's interesting that Jesus here doesn't tell us what to ask for, nor does he tell us what good things God will give. He tells us to pray and to trust that the goodness of the Father will give good gifts to the children. It leaves us sort of blank in the other places. We get guidance elsewhere, of course. In Matthew chapter 6, he tells us to pray for God's kingdom, to pray for God's will, to pray for daily bread, to pray for forgiveness, to pray for deliverance. In our New Testament reading, James tells us to pray for healing. In Luke's version of this same text, he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He keeps emphasizing some of these things to pray for, but in this passage, I think Jesus' primary concern isn't the good things. I think his primary concern is the good God. For most of us, this is actually the real crux of the issue for us in prayer. Our great obstacle in prayer is not necessarily knowing what to ask for or how to ask. Our great obstacle is believing that God is good. 
and not good in general. Not good in the abstract, but good in the particular. That he's good to us. That he's good to you. And that he's good to me. And that with all of the mystery around prayer, that we can actually still trust his goodness. That we can trust his goodness with our feeble attempts at prayer. We can trust his goodness when we don't have the words to say. We can trust his goodness even when we're in places where things are going unanswered for us. Jesus fastens our prayer to this. But our biggest challenge is trusting that that's actually true for us. I think it's actually the number one reason we don't ask. Because we're not sure that God is good to us. Today, as we get ready to come to the table, I'll invite Jen and the team back up. And Evan's going to come to lead us to the table. But I want us to take just a moment. And would you risk asking again? Can we take just a moment? And whatever is that thing that you maybe have asked God about before, but have stopped asking, or the thing that you're currently asking about, we want to take some space just to ask again. Maybe it's asking for a relationship to be reconciled. Maybe it's asking for healing. Maybe it's asking for wisdom or discernment. Maybe it's asking for the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's asking for Jesus to reveal himself to you. Whatever it is, would you take a moment, would you say, God, would you? And maybe today you're sitting here going like, I just can't do it again. <laughs> I don't have it in me to pray. Maybe you could lean over to somebody next to you and say, would you pray for me today? Or maybe you could raise your hand and someone next to you could see and come over and pray for you to say, hey, I've, I've asked God for this for years and I just don't have it in me to ask today, but would you ask for me? Would you ask on my behalf? Because I don't know how to ask anymore. I'm having a hard time. Would we take a moment and would we ask? Not because we're trusting in our perseverance, but because we're trying to hold on to the promises of God and to let our prayer be fastened to his goodness. So let's take a moment and pray before we come to the table.
And so we raise up these prayers to you. And dependency upon you. Professing, confessing that we need you. And asking, come, Lord Jesus, and make all things new. Come, Holy Spirit, empower us for today. We need you. Oh, we need you. Every hour we need you. As Jason aptly points out, it's a confession of prayer based in the goodness of God. And for all the things that we don't know and the prayers that we can't make happen, we realign and we anchor ourselves at a place and a space at the table of Jesus and something we do know, the goodness of God on display. And this bread and this cup and this cross his death and our salvation and his resurrection and overcoming death. The goodness of God. So as we come back to this table, we remind ourselves, this is Jesus' table. And all who believe that Jesus is the true king of the world are welcome to receive yet again, regardless of church faith, background, affiliation. If you don't believe as we're professing that we believe, thank you for choosing to spend Sunday with us. We're honored that you're here. We're in encouraging you. Keep coming. Keep asking questions about Jesus. If you are ready to believe in Jesus and follow his teachings today for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time, then we invite you to join us as we confess our sin and ask for forgiveness and place our trust in him again. The words of the confession will come up on the screen. Let's say these together in prayer. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit. This is a confession taken from the psalmist as he's confessing his own sin before God. So in line with that, it is my joy this morning to announce good news to you. Words that are true. Not because I say them, but because of what God has done. So would you open up your hands and receive again this mercy of God. That Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners, and this proves God's love towards us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And the peace of the Lord be with you. As those who have been raised to new life in Jesus, would you stand together right now and greet those around you, these brothers and sisters in faith, and extend forgiveness for Jesus to one another by saying this to one another, in the name of Jesus, you are forgiven. And bless them with that now.
beloved, Jesus is here. So lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right, all over this room now. Let's just offer up thanksgiving. And we say that in prayer, that it is a good and joyful thing to give thanks to you, our Father Almighty. You who formed us in your image and breathed your life into us. And when our love has failed, your love remains steadfast. When we have been unfaithful, you've sent your Son to be faithful on our behalf. We remember this in these words from the scripture, that on the night that he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of God's mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we proclaim together this mystery of faith, that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and that Christ will come again. We believe that all of us who are in Christ are part of a priesthood of believers. So would you open your hands, heavenward, or stretch them out over the elements with me. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit now. So pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts of bread and wine. May they be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Jesus, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Jesus returns in final victory. I'd like to invite the servers up now at the time. These are the gifts of God given for us, the people of God. Receive them in remembrance that Christ has died for you and feed on him and your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. So they take their positions of service. This is how it's going to work in just a moment. You'll come forward to receive. Beginning at the front of each section, you'll exit to your left if you are able to come forward. If you're unable, please ask someone near you to bring the elements back to you. If you're not receiving, we do ask for the sake of flow. You just still come forward and then just walk right by the servers when you get to the front and return to your seat. The first server will take a gluten-free cracker and dip it in the non-alcoholic wine and then place it in your hand. You can receive right then and there the elements or carry them back and receive them with those who you came with. If you prefer prepackaged elements, please ask the servers. They have them in the baskets. Uh, there's also napkins and dispensers right there. There'll be two stations um, in front of various sections, so make sure to alternate between them as you come forward. And after everyone has received, these who are serving you communion become a continued prayer and ministry team. So if there's anything you've walked in with, a prayer that has gone unprayed or unprayed with someone else, they are here after service as we close for as long as you need. Come now. The table is open. Let us worship in response to him again.